Right, if you extend a hand, we've got our the lovely James is going to teach us on 4.220 this morning. James Barber, so let's extend a hand to him as he leads us in the sermon this morning. So come, Holy Spirit. We welcome you and we ask that you anoint James afresh this morning. We thank you that he's so willing to uh, preach your word. And we give you thanks for him and his family. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Kate. Right, good morning, everybody. Um, thank you. For, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name's James Barber. I'm married to the wonderful Ruth. Uh, we have two great children, William, who's nine, and uh, Faith, who's six. So some of you who help out at Kids Work might, might have come across them. Um, we've been part of the church here, the vineyard. I'm just going to kind of move that out of the way for uh, the last two and a half years. Um, and uh, I don't actually work for the church. Um, you know, we often have people speaking who don't. Um, and nor do I work for the charity that I'll be talking a bit about later. Um, I'm connected to them uh, through a friend. Um, and uh, I'll share a bit about why we as a church are uh, interested in supporting them uh, later. Um, what I do is I, I actually um, work for an American software company in the city of London um, five days a week and sometimes more, unfortunately. Uh, I write their contracts and negotiate them on their behalf. Um, so last week I got up and Neil asked me a few questions about uh, this charity. Um, and then he finished by asking me you know, what I was going to be speaking on next week. Um, so I responded, well, if I had to give it a title, I'd call it Psalm 19. And uh, I think I took a bit, of, bit too much of a pause there because a few of you started sniggering like, who's this joker? I mean, you can't just call a talk Psalm 19. And that's really dull. Um, and, uh, and, and I went, well, no, no, it was a full title, which I definitely, definitely did not just come up with right on that spot. Uh, and the whole title would be Psalm 19 and the whole word for the whole world, which is really hard to say. The whole world for the whole world. It's really hard to say quickly. But anyway, there is a purpose for that, and I'll get into why that's kind of the tagline of this charity um, a little bit later. Let's start off by looking at Scripture. So we're going to look at Psalm 19, surprisingly enough. Um, and it's hopefully going to come up uh, behind me as I read. This is actually from the English Standard Version, the ESV uh, translation of the uh, Bible into English. Okay, so we're going to read the whole of it. Um, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat." The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. 
sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Yes, Lord God, we ask today that our thoughts and our words would be acceptable in your sight. I pray that as I speak, you'll speak your life to us all and that we will hear you um, and have our spirits revived like the psalm says. In Jesus' name, amen. So the last six weeks we've had a story, uh, we've had a series of talks on the story of the Bible. Excuse me. And although this psalm doesn't follow the same chronological arc of scripture that, that Neil and Mike um, covered in those talks, it does bring out some of those key themes. And I think if I, if I had to pick up on sort of three themes that this psalm divides into, it would be God's revelation through creation, it would be God's revelation then through the law, and then God's revelation to the human heart. Oh, thanks, James. Superstar. So those are the kind of... Uh, for those of you who like a structure, who don't like kind of, you know, you're a bit, bit less easygoing, you're like me. You like to have things like, right, this is this, and if the talker doesn't do that bit first, then I'm out of here. So here you go. You've got your three points. That's how we're going to go through the psalm. Um, let's start off now with um, looking at God's revelation uh, in creation. So... In verses 1 to 4, we have the psalmist, in this case it's David, King David, writing that the heavens declare the glory of God. He points out that there's something inherent in when you look up at the sky and see its beauty. There's something inherent in the way we're wired to see beauty there that, that, that speaks to us of something higher, something greater, of, of God's glory. Right? In London, we get amazing sunsets thanks to all that pollution. Uh, no, hopefully it's not just that. But um, and, and then and then and then you know, as we get through into night, you start to see like the lights in the sky, and then there's a big roaring. You realise the lights are moving, and yeah, I live in Putney. I'm under the flight path. That's me. But but quite seriously, you know, the the, the sunsets that we do see and and the, and the stars of the night sky, they they like point, don't they, to something that's like far beyond this world. And even just looking up in a normal. Um, cloudy sky for England, you know, you can imagine God is over that sky and God has created that sky and he's the same God uh, uh, of the people on the other side of the world who are looking up at that same sky and it just takes you out of yourself, lifts you um, up out of your own little world and points to something of God's amazingness, God's hugeness, God's glory as we say. In verse 3 it says there's no speech, it could be translated, nor are there words, it's an inaudible voice. It's a voice, but, you know, there's no words, but it speaks to us nonetheless. Um, around similar time, um, as David was writing this, uh, we have records of, of hymns to sun gods, gods who, the sun, right? And, um, and David, in writing this, he, he picks up on this theme of, of personifying the sun, but, but he puts the sun as one aspect of a creation made by a 
an all-powerful creator God. The Son is not one God among many. He is simply part of God's creation. And in verses 4 to 6, he talks about him coming out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber like a strong man, running his course with joy. Then it kind of transitions at verse 7 and um, starts talking about God's law. We'll come back to that kind of transition at the end. But he talks about God's law, and, and by law here, um, it's talking about God's revealed will in, in the written form. So for us, maybe we could even expand that to say the entire scriptures that we now have in front of us as Christians. Um, I, I don't know about you, but um, with the constant kind of messaging from media, advertising, my own head, the things on my to-do list, the stuff that you know, I need to do for work, it's easy, isn't it, to get kind of dry in your faith, to forget about God and his amazing love and all the things that we were singing about earlier. And God gives us this amazing antidote for that. Um, and it's, it's this book. I mean, this is kind of old-fashioned, right, to have a leather book. But, you know, it's on your phone nowadays, right? It's this. And, and he says, the law of the Lord is perfect. If you need a revival in your soul, this is it. Read the Bible. It brings life. It quickens your spirit. Um, when I first uh, became a Christian, um, I was at home on my own. Um, sort of the Holy Spirit was, was there, and, and I, I was having this kind of very strong emotional experience, realizing all this truth that I'd been taught as a child and was, was here. It was making that, what do they call it, the 12-inch leap from my head to my heart. Um, and all that I'd been told about Jesus, that he loved me, that he died on the cross for my sins, suddenly became real in my heart. And, and it was transforming me. And I was crying and weeping. And I opened the Bible, uh, not really knowing anything about the Bible. And somehow I found myself reading Isaiah chapter 53. And I didn't know it at the time, but it's a, it's a chapter written around 700 years before Jesus would even come to the earth, describing exactly what he would come and do. And I read words like, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. <laughs> he was wounded for our sins. He was crushed for us. Upon him was the punishment that brought us peace. And I just wept more and more because what I was experiencing in my heart was, was there before me in black and white. I didn't know it was written 700 years before he'd even come and do that. And from that moment on, I wanted to understand this book that God seemed to want to use to reveal himself to me. Um, and a lot of commentators on these, these verses, verse 7 to, eight, uh, 7 to 9 in Psalm 19, see it as kind of describing that progression of the Christian faith. Um, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. It brings life where previously there was maybe death. Um, there was just head knowledge. It brings life, heart knowledge. Then it makes the wise simple. The Bible is a way of instructing us, teaching us how to follow him, how to love him more. It goes on, verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. As we follow him, as we learn more about him, it does bring joy to our souls. And it also enlightens our eyes, as it says in verse, verse 8. It describes that process of discipleship. And, and really, this is why the Bible is so fundamental to, to actually growing churches, because it's through the Bible that we are discipled, that we come to know God, and we come to love him more. And so, um, for many years now, the World Mission Movement has recognized that actually, if you want to build churches that are self-sustaining and will grow without outside influence, 
You have to plant churches with the Bible. You have to have leaders who understand the Bible. And the sad tragedy is that over 90% of the world's languages don't have the whole Bible translated into them. More on that later, though. Um, And I guess it's in this context of the value of God's word that um, it makes sense that in verse 10, David goes on and says, "Um, more to be desired is this word than gold, even much fine gold. Uh, There's this amazing story of a man in Asia who uh, lost everything he had um, in a hurricane. And the aid agency gave him some money so that he could start rebuilding his home uh, and his life. And they came back a couple of days later and said, well, what have you spent the money on? And he showed them, and it was a Bible. And they said, what are you doing? But buying a Bible, you need to rebuild your life. And he said to them, look, I can survive for many days without food or shelter or a change of clothes, but I can't survive even one day without the Word of God in my life. And I'm inspired by that story. It puts into perspective how, um, how important having God's Word is. And from here, so we've looked at sort of God's revelation in the, in the heavens, in creation, God's revelation through his law, through the word, through his word. Um, and now David begins to make this really personal and look at, therefore, God's revelation to the human heart. He moves in verse 11 to say, moreover, by, by God's word is your servant warned. He calls himself God's servant, and he starts addressing God directly. He hints at a... He hints at a personal relationship with God. He hints at not just a distant but glorious, incredible God who created all this and set out some rules for us to live by in the Torah, but he also points to the fact that God is personal and wants to know us personally. And and as he does that, he also highlights, as he thinks about the law, he says, who can discern his errors? He's minded to think of his own failings, his own inability to live up to what the law says. And indeed, we know that um, David struggled with this. Um, about 30 psalms later in Psalm 51, um, he, he has a psalm all about his failing to live up to God's standards. And in that psalm, he asks God to, to step in and do something to forgive him, to wash away his um, iniquities, as he calls them. I mean, in fact, the, the, the title for that psalm, the, the sort of like little bit at the start, says, this is a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet uh, went to him after David had gone into Bathsheba. What this is saying is, this is the moment after David went and committed adultery. Uh, and, and I love the honesty that Neil brings to these to bear on these people in the Old Testament. You know, we can so easily try and um, make them, like, like, sanitize these stories, right? But frankly, you know, the Bible itself tells us he was an adulterer, and then he, he kind of felt awkward about that, so he, like, got, got the guy killed who was the husband of the woman he committed adultery with. So he's effectively a, an adulterer and a murderer. You know, like, who, who wants a role model for the kids? Oh, hey, kids, King David, what a great role model. <laughs> right? You just wouldn't, you, you wouldn't choose him. In fact, you wouldn't choose any of these guys. They're all various shades of gray to black in, in, their, in, their, in their lives and their character. Um, but maybe that's kind of like part of it. Like maybe we're not meant to look to them as heroes. Maybe actually the Bible's set up like this because really there's only one hero in the whole story, and he's God. And he's the one who created the world 
and he's the one who loves the world. He's the one who loves miserable people like David, like Moses, like Abraham, who all mess up, like Peter, like the disciples. And he loves them, and he can work with them, and he's wanting to work with you and me. You know, um, when Jesus came and died on the cross, he, he solved a, a massive theological problem. And the problem was, how can God be God? Portray himself like he does in the Old Testament, as hating sin, as sin needing to be punished. And we all feel that, don't we, in our hearts? We all feel, you know, there's some, some things we read about in the media, and we say, that, that makes me so angry, that, that, that should be punished, that is wrong. How can God be God and allow these things to, to happen and accept the people who do them? How could he accept King David after all that he did? You know, and, and the cross of Christ resolves it. Because um, as Paul says in, in Romans 3, um, it shows God to be both just, so he's, he's righteous, he's holy, he's pure like, we've, like we were singing about earlier, but he's also the justifier of those who have, have faith in Christ. In fact, I took a photo of that song we were singing earlier because I thought the words were, were just so amazing. To the cross I look and to the cross I cling. Of its suffering I do drink, of its work I do sing. On it my Savior, both bruised and crushed, showed that God is love and God is just. He is just. He does punish sin. But the amazing gospel, the amazing narrative of the whole arc of Scripture is that he loves you so much that he died on the cross taking all of the punishment you did deserve and I did deserve upon his own back and bled for us and died for us. That is his love. That is the amazing God we serve. And the sad truth is so many people in the world cannot read that in a language that they understand. And they haven't even had somebody go to them and tell them this amazing message. So we as a church, we exist to, to spread God's kingdom, spread that message of love in everything that, that we do. Um, one of the ways we do that very particularly is we, we hand around an offering basket every Sunday. And you'll have heard Neil explain, we're not raising money for the church there. The church is supported by people like you and me giving through, you know, a, direct donations. But the offering basket comes around, and, and that is an opportunity for us to support a, another area of what God's doing in the world. Um, this term, we're supporting a charity called the 4220 Foundation. Um, and uh, hopefully it'll come up on the screen in a minute. Um, their tagline is the whole word for the whole world, like I said. That's because they want to translate the whole Bible, not just the New Testament, but the whole Bible, the Old Testament as well, for everybody in the world and they want to play their part. Um, to hear a little bit more about um, what they do, we've got a little video for you guys to watch now, so I'll ask you to play that now. Thanks. What are the stories from the Bible you hold in your heart? Which did you hear as a child? Which ones have you told to your children? By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. By faith, Noah believed God's promise. By faith, Sarah bore a child. By faith, Moses persevered to set the captives free. 
There are so many stories in the Old Testament that are foundational to our understanding of God and His ways. Now, what if these stories were all in darkness? What if you couldn't fully understand the foundation of the gospel because you never heard the whole story? Only 9% of the world's languages have the full Bible. The Old Testament is 74% of the Bible, but only one in five Bible translation projects include the Old Testament. The need to tell the whole story is great and is urgent. It's time for us to eliminate the Old Testament gap and enable access to God's Word in every language and for every people group. We are committed to making the whole Word available in the over 4,000 languages still requiring translation by training the translators needed in Biblical Hebrew. Together, and by faith, we can play our part in the cosmic story. Even one translation can start a ripple effect, laying the foundation for understanding the truth of Scripture for generations. Many before us have sacrificed greatly so that we can know the whole story. It is now time for us to complete the task. Join with us to give God's whole story to all people. Thanks very much. Um, so uh, just to elaborate on some of the themes that they picked up on there, looking at the numbers, I kind of like numbers. I like statistics, and, and, and I find them quite powerful and persuasive, actually. Um, there are over 7,300 languages in the world, um, which is quite a shock, right? Um, and less than 10% of them have the whole Bible um, in them. Um, after our six-part series on the story of the Bible, looking at that whole narrative arc and, and seeing how it's built upon every previous block, as it were, um, it, it, try imagining, you know, having the New Testament without the Old Testament, without those amazing stories of, of a single creator God who's loving and powerful, all-powerful, you know, not a multitude of different gods, of sun gods and this, that, and the other. You know, imagine not having the truth that, um, you know, God chose a people and, and the story of Israel and, and how he redeemed them from slavery in Egypt, how he gave them a law and a sacrificial system that would foreshadow what Jesus would come and do. You know, imagine trying to understand the New Testament with, without all of that. Um, I asked a few friends before this talk uh, what their favorite uh, Old Testament Bible verses are, and, and a few of them um, were, were given to me. I've put a couple up on screen. Um, uh, you know, imagine not having Isaiah 40, verse 31, my, my wife's favorite verse. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. You know, imagine not having Psalm 18. He reached down from one high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. Um, th th this week, I, I, I was having a bit of a mare. It was a bit of a difficult week. My wife said I was stressed, maybe because I was going to be talking on Sunday to a load of people. <laughs> I, I thought it was work, but whichever it was, um, I was uh, yeah, kind of a bit highly strung um, over the last week. And uh, so much so, in fact, that I was, uh, I was trimming my beard, as I do. And, um, and at one point, I managed to pull off the things that, that keep it at a certain length and just do a massive line straight up here. And um, I, I did think for a moment, like, maybe I should just make it symmetrical and people will think it's like, you know, what I was going for, like this kind of V thing. 
look a bit like metal or something. Like I was into hard rock. Um, but no, I, I copped out of that and decided I'd just like, you know, make it really short. Um, the funny thing is, I was still a bit stressed later on because when I was telling my kids about this, whilst I was just tidying up a few bits I missed, I did exactly the same thing again. So I had to make it even shorter <laughs> to make it all like even. So yeah, it was a bit of a it was a bit of a week, and um, and and I found myself talking to my wife, and then at one point I just said, you know, I, I'm so stressed about work, I put all this pressure on myself. I said, but I don't know why, because you know, the Bible says the government is on his shoulders. So he's kind of in control, isn't he? And my wife's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, knowing look like, yeah. And I start going, and so that means like, I don't need to stress about it because he's looking after it. He's got my job in his hands. If I don't do these things that I'm concerned I won't have time for, it's not the end of the world. He's got it under control. And it just gave my soul that kind of, <sighs> kind of feeling like, ah, oh, it's going to be okay. God is in control. And that that verse, the government is on his shoulders, that's in Isaiah. That's in the Old Testament as well. I, I was saved as I read Isaiah 53. I, I, I can't really imagine you know, life without the Old Testament, and, and I'd encourage you to think about your favorite verses from the Old Testament and, and what you'd miss if they weren't in your tongue. So, so this charity, they, they want to make the whole word available, and there's a focus on the Old Testament. Why are they called 4220? Kind of a bit random. So the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. Um, Hebrew has its own alphabet, which is kind of, it was, you know, in the line that our alphabet came from. And the makeup of 4220 is simply the three letters of the alphabet. They're always consonants. In Hebrew, you don't kind of have the vowels written out so much. You've got the D, which is the fourth letter, the B, which is the second letter, and then the 20th letter, R. So it's Dabar, that means word in Hebrew. It means word, like God's word. Um, and in Hebrew, it's actually written from, from right to left, so you can see at the bottom, that's what it would look like in the, in the Bible. So that's the background between, behind the name of them, of, of the organization. And, and what they see before them is a historic opportunity. Um, for about two millennia, the language of Hebrew has been pretty much extinct. And there are very, I've done a bit of linguistic study in the past, and, and there are very few examples of languages that have been extinct or on the verge of extinction that have been successfully revived. But of course, the Hebrew language was revived, if you don't realize it, in the last century very successfully, and the whole, it is the national language of Israel today. Um, obviously, there are all kinds of political reasons why that happened, but it gives us today an amazing opportunity, actually, to immerse ourselves or immerse people in the language that the scriptures are written. And the Hebrew that is spoken today is, uh, is pretty close to the Hebrew of the scriptures because the, the scriptures were the key source for revitalizing that language. It, it isn't like English that has evolved you know, significantly from the first Bible translations into English 500 years ago. Um, and for this reason, the 4220 Foundation, a core part of what they do is they've set up an institute for biblical languages and translation in Jerusalem. And there's a video now which we're going to show you, which will just tell you a little bit about what they're doing there. Thank you. 
since our New Testament has been um, translated, there are some people who desire to, you know, to translate our Old Testament, but you don't have the means. I saw this opportunity as God's way. We could start with our Old Testament already. It's been years. Years. Africans cannot understand God more if they don't have the Old Testament with them. And that for me is crucial why this work of our coming here to learn the Hebrew language, immerse in the Hebrew culture, understand the God of the Hebrews and the way he's worshipped is important so that we can do the appropriate thing in translating. There have now been two classes that have gone through. This is a graduation ceremony from one of them, and there's a third class that are currently uh, going to be completing their studies this June. Um, and you can see there that translators from those first two schools are going on to impact Bible translation projects that, that might reach you know, 10 million people, 10 million language speakers in this generation alone. Um, if you want to find out more, there's a website you can go to, uh, tellthewholestory.bible. Tellthewholestory.bible, that's hopefully up on the screen. Um, we also have some flyers at, on the back desk, which look a little bit like that. Um, you might recognize that image from the start of that first video. So you can go and grab one of them if you'd like to as well. Um, and feel free to come and, come and talk to me as well. It's a real thrill, and thank you so much to Neil and Kate for agreeing for, to give the offering basket this term to this charity. Um, and uh, look, I said last week that my wife and I uh, made a commitment last year to, to actually support... Um, this charity on a, on a, on a monthly basis. Um, we're actually looking to see if there's a group of people who maybe want to get together and sponsor a specific student um, through their studies for a year, just take on like a year-long commitment to give every month to, to help them get through their studies. So if anyone's interested in joining with us and doing that, I think it'd be a great and quite fun opportunity to get to know a student, pray for them, pray for their needs, and then maybe find out what they go on to do later, to invest in them for the year that they're studying. And it's not, a, it's not cheap to live in Jerusalem and to learn um, in this environment, but it is effective, and it'll equip them for years and years of ministry in the future. So come and talk to me if you're interested in, in that as well. So between... Uh, verse 6 and verse 7 of this psalm, it, it does this peculiar thing. It turns from speaking about God's revelation in creation to God, um, God's word and God's law. Um, it talks about the sun and it says, um, let's get it, it says, there is nothing hidden from its heat. It, it goes from speaking about the sun who 
whose heat permeates the whole of creation, that, that even you know, the rocks at nighttime are exuding the heat they've already absorbed from the sun. There's nothing that's escaping this impact of the, of the sun. Even, you know, even in England with our gray days, the, the sun is still impacting on our world. And then it turns and, and talks about the law of God. And I think it kind of begs a comparison between God's word and its impact on the world and, uh, and, and the sun that constantly impacts the world. And, and when you go to Isaiah 55, God says of um, his word, he says, of my word that, that comes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish everything that I desire and it will achieve the purpose that I sent it. So God's, God's word and the truth of his gospel is impacting this world. It's transforming this world today. Just like the sun, um, God's world is, is going into the whole world. And not just the sun in the sky, but God's own son, Jesus Christ. He's moving in this world, and nothing is remaining unaffected by the heat of his love. And it will be successful. This mission that God's got, this plan he's working out, is guaranteed success. We talked last week about the book of Revelation and the hope that that gives us. Well, a couple of verses there tell us that in heaven, there'll be people from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. So it's guaranteed to reach all of these languages. There are going to be believers there standing next to you and me, worshiping God in whatever languages. We're going to, we're going to interact with these 7,000 plus languages when we're in heaven for eternity worshiping Jesus. And we're going to be there alongside them. God, God is calling those people to himself. And he's not going to fail in this. So as people who have this, this, this priceless gift, the Bible, um, which is worth more than much fine gold. Um, and, and we have his revelation of love in Jesus Christ in his word um, in, a, in a language that we understand. Let's be people who, who love it. Let's be people who live on him, live on his truths and live on what this says. Um, let's be people who read the Bible and experience that revival of the soul, who, who get wisdom from it, who get that joy and that deep rejoicing and have our eyes enlightened and opened, as it says in verse 7 and 8. I'm going to um, close with a quotation from uh, a 19th century Baptist minister from London, a guy called Charles Spurgeon. Some of you might have heard of him. And, and I love the way he describes how we, um, how we should be with the Word of God. It's kind of old-fashioned English, which is kind of cute, so just enjoy it. I'll try and make it clear if it's a bit unclear. The Word of God is always always most precious to the person who most lives upon it. As I sat last year under a wide-spreading beech tree, I was pleased to mark with prying curiosity the singular habits of that most wonderful of trees, which seemed to have an intelligence about it which other trees have not. I wondered and admired the beech. But I thought to myself, I do not think half as much of this beech tree as yonder squirrel does. I see him leaping from bough to bough, and I feel sure that he dearly values the old beech tree because he has his home somewhere inside it in a hollow place. These branches are his shelter, and those beech nuts are his food. He lives upon the tree. It is his world, his playground, his granary, his home. Indeed, it is everything to him, and it is not so to me, for I find my rest and food elsewhere." With God's word, it is well for us to be like squirrels. 
living in it and living on it. Let us exercise our minds by leaping from bough to bough of it, find our rest and our food in it, and make it our all in all. We shall be the people that get the profit out of it if we make it to be our food, our medicine, kind of like I was talking about earlier, it's like our antidote, isn't it? Our treasury, our armory, our rest, our delight. May the Holy Spirit lead us to do this and make the word, the word thus precious to our souls. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word, and thank you for who it reveals to us. Thank you, Jesus. You, in fact, call, describe yourself as the word of God. We thank you that we can know you, that you loved us so much, you dealt with our sin, and that we are your friends now. Thank you, God, for this priceless gift, and God, we ask that you will fill us now with your Holy Spirit, fill us with love for you and your word, and may, may we be people who, who seek always to bring it to others. Does the band want to come up?